as Cindy was sharing a bit about being at Camp Carl uh, in her younger years and being scared as somebody talked about uh, the end times, it took me back to a memory that I hadn't thought of, even though I'd been studying in Revelation, of being a younger person in the backseat of a car. And there was like a harvest moon. It was like really orange, almost red. And the driver in the car was an older teenager at the church. His name was Mike. And he said, look at that. And we all looked. And I go, what? He goes, that means it's the end of the world. And I believed it for like a couple seconds. I was like, and he held on before he like alleviated our concerns. But it was the biggest and most uniquely colored moon that I had seen uh, in my memory at that point in time. And I just remember being freaked. I'm like, I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm not sure I'm happy that that's the case uh, right now. And so you mentioning Camp Carl, Cindy made me think of that. But Uh, We are glad that you're here this uh, morning, and uh, we're going to be going uh, to the last book of the Bible and talking about uh, the last things, and there's a reason that it is the last book of the Bible, uh, and that it closes our canon for us, and it can be an intimidating book because it's so different than many uh, of the other types of writing that we get in the New Testament, and so... uh, you can often go from sort of two different perspectives of being so in love with it and fascinated by it that it's all that you read or sometimes uh, where I think many people can fall and I was one of those then for a while after I loved it, then I kind of uh, fell out of love with it and said, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. Uh, I wanna spend most of my time elsewhere. But we believe that every part of scripture was given to us as a gift. And so we need at times to go through every part of it uh, and not just go to the things that we are most naturally drawn to or what we think maybe say the nicest things about us, but that if all of it is a gift to us, we want to unpack it uh, and receive everything that God has for us. So we are beginning a series through the book of Revelation, but it is 22 chapters long, and we're just going to spend six weeks going through it. And so it won't be uh, now the next year of our time uh, in the details of this book, but we hope uh, that it's enough time in it to make it, if you're someone who's really scared or intimidated by it, to spend a little bit more time and say, this is a gift that God has given us. And it should be, in the course of your own devotional life, uh, something that you draw upon to be encouraged in your walk. Because uh, the one who took the time to put it down for us, John, as we'll see today, he needed this in his life. He believed the churches in his day needed this, and he took the time to write it down because he believed all of us uh, need the message that's contained in here. So if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, you can turn to Revelation, and we'll read chapter one in its entirety. This is the last book in the Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. 
to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place, After this, and as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. What a glorious, (laughs) beautiful vision that John received. But the very opening of this book tells us that this is the revelation of Jesus. And that word revelation in Greek is where we get the word apocalypse. And so if you've heard of the apocalypse, it is the revealing, the uh, unfolding of something that had been mysterious but now is becoming known, that we were waiting for but is now taking place. And it's our conviction that not only is this book a revelation from Jesus, But as Christians, we believe all of Scripture could actually be described that way. So that one of the reasons we commit ourselves to this book is that we don't think of it as simply some really smart people trying to think their way to God and saying, you know, I wish God was a little bit like this or I had this experience and so I think God is like that. And so what we're primarily reading are human thoughts doing their best to make sense of who God is. We would say no human being has the capacity to reduce God or make sense of him on their own. And more often than not, when we're tempted to do that, we will usually create a God in our image 
and so that he loves all the things we love and he hates all the things that we hate and he never asks us to make any sacrifices or changes in our lives and it usually does not go good when we as human beings try to think our way toward him and figure him out. That we need, if we're gonna know him, for him to speak, for him to reveal himself. So many people would agree with the first part of what I said and say, yeah, so religion is dumb. Like nobody can figure this out. And we, God is just this mystery that none, nobody can uh, ultimately uh, summarize. And though we believe none of us are smart enough on our own or even collectively to sort of solve the puzzle, as Christians we would say, is God able to make himself known? Is the, the maker of all things able to communicate in a way that we could understand him? And that's what we would say, we believe that. We believe that God, who is above our ability to understand or know fully, is so all-wise and all-knowing that he can say what we need to hear so that we can know what we need to know to follow him, to evaluate our own lives in light of him. And though none of us think we therefore have it all figured out, we have an obligation to hold one another accountable to the revelation that he's given us. If he has spoken, then we must listen. If he has said that something is true, then we will be defined on whether or not we submit and agree to what he has revealed or whether we would say, no, I'm still gonna choose to go my own way and think my own thoughts about him. But this book, as John is making clear, as he does take the time to write it down, he eventually reveals himself to us, is to say to any of his early listeners, don't put your sense of trust and confidence in it because of who John is, even though he was a person who had authority in the church. If this is good for us, it's good because it's the revelation of Jesus to us, that he is the one speaking, and he is the one making heavenly things known so that we on earth could have some sense of figuring it out. But that's the only way it can happen. We can't on our own reach up to there and bring it down. But he can come down and bring it to us in ways that we can understand and wrestle with. And there's another way in which we understand this phrase that it is the revelation uh, that Jesus is giving and so it's the revelation of Jesus. But it's also true that we believe that all of scripture is pointing to Jesus, not simply as the messenger who's giving this word to us, but that he is the message. He's not just the messenger who's passing on the information to us. It is the revelation of Jesus as the message, as the one that heaven holds out to us to say, here is my beloved son, listen to him, follow after him. And so we uh, consider him not simply a wise person to listen to, but actually the, the, the sacrifice offered for us. That's what it says as it goes on in verse five, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so that's a good test, not just of doing devotional studies through this book, but any book of the Bible. Are you growing in your appreciation 
and love and worship of Jesus himself. If you aren't, you're not reading it right. (laughs) Because reading it is supposed to show us who he is and how glorious he is, how worthy he is of our worship. And so to read not only this book, but every book in scripture properly is to be drawn further and further into sense of respect and awe at how amazing and wonderful Jesus Christ is. He's the piece that unlocks the puzzle. When we put it all together, he's the one that we see. It's a revelation of him. Then John introduces himself, and what he tells us about himself is that he's actually in a position of isolation. And so from the revelation of Jesus, as this is introduced to us, what John tells us is about himself, as he, he's in fact isolated on an island. This is verse nine. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so he's actually a political prisoner sent away on an island because he's been proclaiming the revelation of Jesus. And he's not with the people that he wants to be with. He is isolated from them. And he says, I'm a partner with you in tribulation and patient endurance. In other words, if we would have gone up to John and we could have interviewed him that day and said, how's life going for you right now? He wouldn't have said, I've just been having the best week of my life. Things are going so good. I just got to enjoy some family time and I got to do some creative projects. And uh, No, if we would have been able to interview him, we would have realized life is actually going pretty rough for him. And he is separated from so many people that he loves and cares about. And so he can say to his people, even though he has a position of authority in the church as an apostle, he's like, I'm, I'm one of you. I have bad days too, and I'm actually going through a really hard time right now. Because of the testimony of, that I'm sharing, I'm in this position of being separated from and isolated from people that I love. And so John needs this revelation in a time of his own discouragement. And there again, I think this book, when we understand it rightly, we would say this isn't just to have arguments over and try to figure out who reads the best and is who's smarter. Like we need this when we're down. We need this when we receive a diagnosis that we don't want to hear. We need this when we're separated from people that we love and we're just not sure how well they're doing right now. Like this revelation of Jesus is given to someone in that type of experience to be an encouragement, to give strength to them for the journey, to endure patiently what it is that he's going through because it's not all going great for him in his life. Other followers of Jesus who he has known have paid the ultimate price. So he's banished on an island, but some of his friends who were with him when they were following after Jesus have already been martyred for the faith. And he knows that. So there's people that are already no longer with him 
and then there are people who are alive who he's isolated from. And in this experience, he needs to hear a message from God. And as he receives it, he shares, uh, not only for John himself, but for all of us, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written. So this is meant to be medicine for our souls. This is meant to encourage us. And we don't have to understand all of it for it to do that work, but we also shouldn't constantly avoid it because it's given so that a weary follower of God who's wondering, is it really worth it? What's God doing in this? And I thought it might have worked out this way, but here I am stuck in this situation and life's not going as good as I thought to say, just like John needed this encouragement many, many times in our lives, we will need to recapture the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's called us to so that we can get through and endure whatever the current situation we're in now. Because none of us like that in-between time. None of us love waiting. A little over a month ago, uh, I flew to California for a family funeral. One of my great aunts at 98 years old had passed away, and I knew that if I went, I would now be able to see more family in a 24-hour period than I had seen in the last couple of years because I hadn't been to California for five years. And my grandmother, who's 100, is still alive, and so I wanted to also go see her and uh, so it was a 48-hour trip, and I thought I was getting ahead of some of like the resumed travel that many people are now experiencing. I thought I was on the front end, and it still also might not be crazy crowded and packed, and, but I discovered, no, that wasn't the case. A bunch of other people had the idea to go and travel, and so there was not an empty uh, seat on the plane, and then when I landed in LAX, I waited at the station outside the airport for the shuttle to take me to the car rental place for almost an hour. And it's not fun to stand in a group of people that are all waiting and really want to get somewhere else, right? Like, because they're all talking about, how long have you been waiting? How long have you been waiting? And uh, people are pulling out their phone and trying to figure out, like, how quickly can we get an Uber or a Lyft just to get the 1.7 miles to the Hertz rental place so that we can all get on our way? And the cheapest uh, was, like, 70 bucks to get the 1.7 mile to the car rental place. So everyone, you know, everyone's doing the math on, do you care that much to get, take the ride, or do you want to wait for the shuttle? And you kept seeing this, like, Hertz bus come down with all these other ones. And so it looked like, you know, you're looking down the, the road saying, oh, there's hope, like, we're, we're going to be set free from this waiting, and then it was, does not pull over, it's totally full, and it's just going past you. And so then you're wondering, do I have to walk further down that way to catch the bus, because these seem to keep being full, uh, and so we're not able to go where we are, and, uh, where we want to go. By the time I got to the Hertz, I was like 20 people deep in line waiting to get my car, and so it took four hours to make a couple thousand mile trip and then it took over two hours to make a seven mile trip to my cousin's house uh, from by the time I landed to the time I got there. But that in-between time of waiting has its own frustrations, which for me, I didn't feel like I was as frustrated as everybody else around me. One, because I have so many good memories from when I've been there before. And there's something about just being there, even as much as I don't like LAX, 
It just reminds me of family trips. That was where we went more often, was to California growing up because my grandparents uh, lived there. And so getting on a plane and going west was more often what we would do uh, for a family vacation. So just being there reminds me of my own father and family trips there. And then I was also anticipating who I was about to see and that I would now, though briefly, get to catch up with people who I love. And there was something about the good memories that I was going, processing, and the anticipation of what I would enjoy once I ever got out of here that made it possible, while it seemed like other people just kept getting angrier and angrier and angrier to say, like, this isn't fun, but I'm not angry right now. Like, I'm looking forward to what's coming. And there's that, and we all need that, to be able to get through and endure and not take it out on everybody else around us, <laughs> that we're all waiting for something, to be um, reminded both of past things and also future things that are coming. And John needs that. And we, we all struggle with various senses of time. As you know, having little kids, I realize I was glad on that trip that they weren't with me. So I was able to endure it longer because I didn't have three kids, eight and under, standing in that uh, packed environment waiting for my patience level. Probably would not have been the same. Um, we just recently took a, a trip to Cincinnati uh, to visit uh, my mom. And I feel like the, one of the last trips that we had taken in a car together was to Hilton Head. So now we're all getting ready to go in the car. Uh, now for this trip to Cincinnati, and my youngest, three years old, David, says, Daddy, is Cincinnati as far as Hilton Head? And I was like, oh, no, it's not. It's so much closer. Uh, but as we were getting buckled in and things were getting loaded up, he went quickly to this 12-hour trip that we took and uh, made them endure, which they did really good for, but it was this, like, he doesn't get a sense of geography yet and how far away things are, and he just remembers it took a lot to get through that. But it was kind of that, you need to know ahead of time, like, how long is this gonna last? Like, you'll pay attention more if you feel like I'm gonna finish in five minutes or if you feel like this is gonna go on for an hour, right? Like, if you feel like, oh, shoot, he's still in his intro, uh, you'll actually pay attention less. And if you feel like, okay, I think the plane's coming down for a landing, we just have a little bit more to go, it will wake you up a little bit to say, okay, let's, let's give them like five more minutes of our time. Like we all do that. And in life, our sense of how well we're doing right now is shaped by what we think is coming. What we anticipate to the, the future to be and how much time it'll take to get there. John is isolated. He's away from the people that he loves, but he gets this amazing, therefore, multiple revelations or visions that are meant to awaken all of his senses and to remind him that God is really God. He's worth the wait. And he's going to, as Cindy said, win. It feels to John like he's actually on the losing team right now. It's not gone well for him, and he needs to know that good things are coming. So this vision that he points to is a vision of the exaltation of Christ. He says he hears the voice first, and then when he turns to look at it, he sees one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. It's this image, clothing often 
uh, is an indication of someone's position or authority. And so from far away, we can identify a police officer because of a uniform they wear. Uh, in a courthouse, before a judge comes out, they'll put a robe on and over and assume the office and the authority that they have now to make decisions. From someone's clothing, we often get a sense of what position or authority they have. And in my growing up, I am not wearing the appropriate clothing for the position I have right now. So my parents would be like, put a jacket on and tuck in your shirt if you're going to stand up there and preach the Bible. Uh, because there's that sense of the authority you might have should also be visible in what you're wearing. And so for John, as he sees this vision of one like the Son of Man, and he's got a long white robe and a golden sash around his chest, there's this sense of authority. This great priest is coming. And then he sees that not only is he dressed with a sense of authority, but when you look into his hair and his eyes and his feet, everything seems to match. He has the, this wisdom that they would associate with white hair. There's this passion in his eyes with flames of fire in his eyes. And there's a solid foundation in a bronze that's been refined in a furnace. It's this image of an exalted Christ that has been gone for a period of time now. And so the disciples are wondering, is he really there? Is he really going to come back? And also, when he came the first time and they met him, initially for them, the struggle was when he said he was the son of man, for them to believe wait a minute, if you're the son of man, why do you look like us? Why do you talk like us? You come from a small town like we do. You're an ordinary person like we do. There was a humility in his first coming that is part of why so many of the Pharisees and Sadducees were like, no, 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 we've heard about the son of man in Daniel, and there are angels, and it is glorious and powerful, and we're not seeing that. There were glimpses of it, but in his first coming, there was a humility to what Christ did so that anybody and everybody could feel welcome to come to him. But along the way, there were these moments like the transfiguration where Jesus took a few of his disciples up and said, you have seen me clothed with humility. I am one of you, but I want you to know there is the glory behind this. And so he was transfigured before them on a mount. And Peter was like, can we just stay here? <laughs> This is cool. Can we just set up camp here? Are you really that great? Are you really that powerful? But Christ knew that his primary mission in his first coming was to be a sacrificial lamb before he came as the conquering king. And so he didn't stay up on the mountain. He took the disciples down and he went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice. But now, John and the churches and us are supposed to have a vision of him as exalted, as powerful and glorious. That when we think of what we can bring before him and what requests we can make of him, that we can bring big requests to him because we come to a big God. 
And so then when in the vision it says, uh, I mean, we, we get a sense of how amazing this vision is to John himself. It says, in his right hands he holds the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was shining like the sun in full strength. And you were to say, man, if I saw that, how would I react? You'd react just like John did. What did he do? I fell at his feet as though dead. Like if we got a glimpse of just how amazing and just how powerful, just how glorious he really is, we'd fall. Say, are you really that exalted? When it says he holds the seven stars in his right hand, uh, it was Eugene Peterson who pointed this out in, in one of his commentaries on it. Scripturally, when it says something is in God's right hand, the right hand is that it's ready to be used. Like, it's what you're controlling. It's what you're uh, now ready to take action for. And so there again, if you have something on you, but it's not in your hand, you know, if you've got a sword on you, but it's still attached to you and your hands are free, people interact with you one way. But once it's in your right hand, we're talking a little bit differently, right? Because it's this sense that you now are controlling this and you're ready to use it. And so when the exalted Christ has the seven stars in his hands, it's a way of saying in the first century to the Jews and the Gentiles who often would have looked out and many of them still would have thought all those stars and the planet, they control us and our destiny and our fate to say the stars don't control us. Christ controls the stars. They're in his right hand. Everything in the heavens and everything in the earth is under his authority. So John, don't grow weary. Don't give up. He's exalted. He's not off doing something else and not paying attention to what's going on. He is ruling and reigning. And so when he comes, then there's this anticipation that in his return, the king is coming back. And so John needs this message that this exalted Christ is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And so there's this anticipation of his return that we need to have as well. How would our lives be shaped by it as his followers if we really had this sense that the exalted Christ is about to return? That's how we should live. And I think it for at least two ways should affect us. One is humility and hope. It should give us a sense of humility. As the message comes to the churches in chapters two and three, it's a message that they need to wake up. Uh, this Jesus who you serve, this Jesus who you say you're following, who you uh, are carrying out his mission, like he's about to come back. And so it should humble us in evaluating our own lives to say, well, what are the ways we are honoring them and what are the ways we are allowing ourselves to actually dishonor him? Because we want to pay attention to that. I've been able to catch a couple times my kids who are about to do something and they'll just kind of like look over to see if anybody's like watching. Like, will I get in trouble if I do this? And that's, it's just a reality that for us, it's not to look over our shoulder in fear, but to say, yeah, most of us actually behave better when we have this sense of accountability. 
uh, it'd probably be good for all of us as soon as we can to realize everything you do online will probably be visible to the watching world at some point. Whatever anonymity you think you have, you don't have. Someone can steal it, someone's keeping track of it, and someone's using it to sell something to you. So behave better. Don't do a bunch of things that make you want to delete your history or hope that nobody finds out what your password is. Because more often than not, that takes all of us to scary places. And even as his followers, this sense of his returning should give us a humility to say, are we being faithful and honoring you? And in what ways aren't we? But then also hope. John needs this hope. That Christ, though he came in a manger, and though John would have seen him uh, on a cross, that he is coming back in a procession of triumph and victory. And it's going to be great. And it's exactly what he needs for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are the one who is and who was and who is to come. That there is purity and power and strength and majesty and glory in you. And that you reveal that to us to give us strength for today. Father, you look down upon a congregation like this and you know the ways that we're experiencing isolation or suffering or trial. medical tests, treatment plans, ongoing grief from people who we love that are no longer with us. You see all of that in a room like this. Father, would you reveal your power to each and every one of us? When those things can sometimes weigh us down, would you lift us up and strengthen us by the vision of how glorious and beautiful you are? and the hope that we all have that you are in control that you hold the seven stars that we are not ultimately at the fate of evil forces but that we are still under the care and the protection of the good shepherd we thank you for this in Jesus name Amen